Hey guys, I just want to take the time before we dive into the episode to thank you guys for checking us out and for listening to the Bible Chat Podcast. I just want to also take this moment to invite you, if you're being blessed by this ministry, if you're enjoying the content we're putting out, to follow us on Facebook, like and share the podcast with friends and family, follow us on Instagram, and also if you'd be so kind to check us out on Patreon. This ministry has so far been funded completely out of pocket on myself, and I'm hoping that maybe I can get a couple of you to come alongside as ministry partners to help us expand, to do live streams, to do video, and to and to just bring in new content. Right now on three of the tiers on Patreon, if you are so generous as to follow, we are giving away merchandise um, for pledges uh, above $3. Any of those things would be shipped to you as long as you're willing to come alongside. And then not only will you be blessed by that merchandise, but also by expanding content such as, like I said, video and live stream and a YouTube channel. These are all things that I really do want to do, but I cannot do on my own. So I'm hoping that maybe some of you would be generous enough to come alongside as ministry partners. I also want to take a little bit of time to introduce Rebecca Davis to you. Rebecca Davis is a Christian author of over 19 books. Even though I make the mistake in the interview of saying only two, she has actually been writing for quite some time. But the two books that we focus on in conversation are Untwisting Scriptures 1 and 2. These books are a great resource if you're wanting to learn about uh, the flaws in some of the most common scriptures that are twisted in Christian preaching and teaching now. Things along the lines of the surrender of personal rights, um, the patriarchy set up of so many of the ecclesiastical structures of the modern church, and other subjects like that. I really would strongly encourage you guys to check those books out. They are available on Amazon, and I believe that you can order them in either uh, a bound physical copy or the Kindle version, which is what I own of both books, and I would highly recommend those things to you. Anyway, let's get on with the interview. I really do hope that you enjoy it. Thank you. Welcome back to Bible Chat. I'm your host, Caleb Sowers. Thanks for stopping by. We have a real special episode today. Uh, we have a special guest with us. Her name is Rebecca Davis, and she is a published author and uh, has actually published two different books. Um, there's a part one and a part two called Untwisting Scriptures. And so, uh, Rebecca, if you wanted to tell us a little bit about yourself and your ministry and your books, uh, that'd be great. Thank you, Caleb, and thank you for inviting me here. I want to say, first of all, I have 19 books in publication. These are just two of them. I've been uh, publishing since, I've been writing for publication. My first one was 1987. Wow. So I've been writing for a long time. The oh, first that's, book that's awesome. <laughs> I wrote was a biography, a children's Children's biography of Amy Carmichael, and I was told later that it was the first children's biography of Amy Carmichael, so that's how old it is. Uh, but for a long, 
long time, what I was writing was biographies of great Christians and books of true missionary stories. Then the Lord brought me into this world of abuse within the church. And I wasn't writing about that at first for several years as I was learning about it because I was very new in it. It didn't cross my mind to write about it. People asked me if I was going to write about it, people who knew I was a writer. And I said, no, I don't have any credentials. I'm not the person to be writing about this stuff. Other people need to be doing this. And other people, I think, are doing it. Well, very few other people were doing it. And I was of the mindset at that time, if anyone is writing about it, then I shouldn't. And, and of course, that isn't true at all. And my mindset eventually changed that the more people speaking out, the better. And it took me a while to find a niche where I belonged in this world. I didn't, because I know a little bit about niches, I, I was, I would think, other people have certain specialties. I want, I wonder what, where the Lord will lead me and what my specialty will be. And I was writing about the abuse situations at Bob Jones University in Greenville, South Carolina, which is where I live, because the Lord had brought several abuse survivors into my life. And a woman, a friend said to me, Rebecca, I believe your strength is analysis. You do a really good job analyzing, analyzing what people have said, where it's incorrect, what the Bible says, what it really means. That's, it's really, really helpful. And I said to myself or to her, I said, oh, I really appreciate that. I'm glad to know that I have a strength. So um, that's when I really took that to heart and started doing that. And I could see how having studied the scriptures for, I guess, 30 years at that time was really, really playing into what people needed, what I could do to help people where they were. And when I was speaking out on social media in 2014, in the Bob Jones University situation, the backlash that I saw coming at me was a real education for me. I saw Christians don't know the Bible and Christians don't think logically because I was seeing these arguments that didn't make any sense and these arguments that ripped scriptures out of mm -hmm. context over and over and over and over. And it was an eye-opening experience for me. It was like I am astounded that scripture, that, that, that Christians don't know the Bible to this extent, because it was all Christians or, or people who claim to be Christians who were coming back at me for speaking out about the abuses and the way they were being mishandled and things like that. For reference, and, um, you're, yes. you're speaking about Bob Jones University, and Bob Jones University is an independent uh, fundamental Baptist uh, Bible college. Yes. It is independent and fundamental. It doesn't claim to have a denomination. Oh, okay. So people right. of several denominations are there, and it is Baptistic, but right. it doesn't claim a denomination. It's independent okay. and fundamental. 
Right. And, um, and a lot of the, but I do know that a lot of the part, uh, the, the people who attend there come from the IFB background, it's, or at least, yes, at least in the beginning and, and probably still going on. And again, that seems to be one of the big contentions with a lot of these uh, very legalistic groups is that they, they have these stances and they're across the board agreed on, but to substantiate those, they take scriptures out of context and, and just apply them across the board for every answer. So if you get the, the, you know, the, the, the no alcohol, you can't drink because one scripture says, don't do not look on the wine when it is red. And so now across the board, you know, there's no drinking or with the, I'm sure that we'll get into the subject a little bit later on, you have the wives submit unto your husbands and they take that one passage completely out of the rest of the chapter and the chapter before it and just that's it now across the board and it seems to be a, a standby for a lot of those uh, legalistic or even cult-like groups because Mormons do the same thing and Jehovah's Witnesses do the same thing as well. In 1981 I was in my mid-20s and working at Bob Jones University at the press, I was a writer for their uh, children's reading books and other, other educational materials. That was the year, if I remember correctly, it was near 1981, it was right around there. And that was the year that they had a Supreme Court case about not allowing interracial dating. And so all over campus, they posted a statement about their reasons for not allowing interracial dating and the scripture that their reasons were based on. I was in my mid twenties. I read that it was posted. And so I just stood there where it was posted and read it. And I thought that's the best they can come up with. They've worked, they're taking the hit on a Supreme Court case and they must have had a whole team of people working on this statement and that's the best they can do. And I, I wouldn't, I didn't have any terminology in my head in those days, but now I would look back on that and say they were ripping scripture out of context. Which scripture did they, they use? Were, uh, I think it was something, I mean, something about ham, I think in Genesis, oh, but really? I really don't remember. Oh, okay. I, I just I'm just curious. Thinking, I wanted to know which one they used. I just remember to... thinking this is an incredibly weak argument. And I had come from a family that believed that interracial dating was wrong. And I, I know this is a podcast, so people can't see that I'm using air quotes when mm -hmm. I, when I say that word, because I believe there is only one race, the human race. Well, and, yeah, you don't have to get too far into your Bible to know that it's okay. Uh, Moses, Aaron and his uh, and, and Moses's sister were talking about Moses's wife, and they got themselves in trouble because. Oh, I remember. I, I mean, you don't even have to get very not, far. <laughs> I was not a very compliant and obedient um, church member in those days, but. <laughs> Anyway, back to where we are mm -hmm. uh, in 2014. So we're talking, um, what is that? Seven years ago, 
that was a really, really eye-opening experience for me about the state of Christendom, at least in the West, and how at least in the fundamental circles. And, and again, my education was increasing as I went. It wasn't like I walked in with this already knowing everything. I didn't at all. I was just learning. But I knew the Bible. And so I obviously had a little bit of an advantage over some of these people. And when I say I knew the Bible, I don't mean to say I memorized scripture. I did, but that isn't the point. I knew books of the Bible in their context. I understood what the message was. I wanted, I wanted to get what the heart of God was in these messages. I understood how the new covenant related to the old covenant and back again. I understood, I understood things because I had been wanting to know God for the last 30 years. I wanted to know God and I, in my late teens or early 20s, I held that Bible in my hand and said, if this is a message from God to us, the way we are told, then it's my responsibility to understand what it says. And I would be amazed, or amazed isn't the right word, I was frustrated with preachers who would act like their Sunday sermon was it for the week. Like that was our Bible for the week. And um, there was one pastor in particular, we were in his church for a while. At the end of every sermon, he would say, live like you've been here this week. And I was thinking, this is it? This, and this was an, an independent Baptist church. This is the only piece of Bible we're going to get. Doesn't he want to tell us to be searching the scriptures on our own? So that's what I was doing. And my husband and I had a lot of lively discussions about dispensationalism versus uh, reformed theology and new covenant theology where we eventually landed and post-mill, pre-mill, amill. And so I understood all these things. Mm -hmm. And I also understood scripture in context and I could go and look. Now, I'm sorry, if this sounds like boasting, I don't intend for it to. I am just saying when I saw an argument on Facebook, for example, mm -hmm. don't pick up stones and start throwing them at people because Jesus said, he who casts the, I don't know, what did Jesus say? He Look was without sin, sin cast the first stone. Yeah. Yes, he is without, without sin cast the first stone. So I got mm -hmm. that scripture thrown at me. He who is without sin, let him be the one to cast the first stone. All right. I know that story. Mm -hmm. And I'm guessing the people who quoted that verse also know that story. So they were thinking illogically and they were taking scripture out of context because... I wasn't wanting to stone anybody. <laughs> I wasn't wanting anyone to get killed. Right. I was just wanting the truth to come forward. So it's completely out of context. It has nothing to do with the story of the stones, which is, for anyone who might not be familiar with that story, um, some of the Pharisees, the, the teachers of the law who were hypocrites, Jesus said, 
were going to stone a woman who had been taken in adultery. I don't know where the man was, but they were going to stone the woman. And Jesus said to them, whoever of you is without sin, let him cast the first stone. And then he lifted up the woman and forgave her and told her not to sin anymore. And so it's a completely different context. When I say, bring forth the truth about these abuse stories, don't hide the truth. Some of these people have really been abused. Some of the people being named really are, um, really are guilty. And people tell me not to throw stones unless I don't have any sin. I think that has nothing to do with what we're talking about here. And I, I compiled such a long list of that, of those scriptures out of context and illogical arguments. During that time, 2014, when Bob Jones University was supposed to be working with an investigative agency, which I can talk about more in a minute, such a long list that I thought, this has got to go on a website because I'm answering all these, I'm saying the same things over and over and over to answer these people. I just need a, a clearinghouse website where I can just post them all and just link to it when I answer them. And that's what we eventually did, a friend and I eventually did with BJU Grace, bjugrace.com. It was quite active for about three years and now it's dormant, but I want to keep it up just so people can go see what we were dealing with in those days. That's really what got me started, I would say. So you run, in, in you run a website blog. or a, you run a blog as well, uh, a regular blog, um, as well as publishing your, your books and, and obviously doing interviews and things like that as well. Well, that, that's, that's an interesting story too, because any growth that I've had is, has been organic in the sense that I wasn't expecting it. And I just wanted to do the next, the right, the next right thing. So in 2009, I started a little devotional blog to talk about the Christian life because of what the Lord had shown me primarily about sanctification. I was very excited about it. And that's why I called it. Here's the joy because it was such a joyful and wonderful thing to me to find out that no works were necessary for my sanctification, that Jesus had accomplished everything that was necessary for my sanctification, not just my justification, but my sanctification. And I had learned that about five years prior. And so I had been in um, incorporating that into my life, letting that truth sink down for about five years and it was time to start a blog. And it is kind of funny because in 2009, I remember saying to my sister, oh, there are so many blogs out there already. Everybody's blogging. This little blog won't get it, won't get noticed. And that is pretty funny because so many blogs have been started since 2009 and mine is now considered an old one to have been carried on this long. This is going to be the 12th year soon. Oh, wow. And my sister said, well, that's a great name. Go ahead and grab it before somebody else does. So I appreciate my sister's support. 
and I did, and I just started blogging about the Christian life and the things I'd learned from the scriptures that were joyful, hopeful things. And I had like eight readers, you know, it was okay. That's about what I expected. Mm -hmm. Yeah, <laughs> but, well, it, it's, you know, big things start small. <laughs> well, they, yes, <laughs> mine certainly started small. But, and it was hard. There were some aspects of it that were hard. It was hard putting myself out there and thinking, I don't think I'll get any response to this. And then you do it and it's just dead silence. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and I thought, I'm just determined to keep going. I'm just going to keep going, even though it's really, really hard. That's and cool. maybe it will help two or three people. Do you consider that worth it? Yes, I do consider that worth it. So I was doing all this self-talk, you know, uh -huh. and so, so in 2012 to 2014, 15, I got involved in the Bob Jones University stuff, became very vocal on Facebook, in various Facebook groups. And then finally on the bjugrace.com website. But I was determined to keep my little Here's the Joy website separate from all of that because it was a devotional blog. It was called Here's the Joy. So we don't talk about abuse on a blog called Here's the Joy. So that for, for those years, I kept it separate. And then at the end of 2016, let me back up. Dale Ingram came to me with his book called Tear Down This Wall, Sexual Abuse in, our church, in the Churches. Sexual Abuse in the Church, that's what it was called. It was um, self-published. And I, because I'm a book editor and a writer, I said to him, would you like some help with this? And he said, yes. And so I did a new version of it called Tear Down This Wall of Silence, dealing with sexual abuse in our churches. And it was just a delight to me to work on that book. I felt like I was doing the work of the Lord, working on that book. And I got several of my friends, they all had some friends, we got first person quotations in that book. And that book was published in 2015. And so I thought, okay, I guess I am really writing about this. I wrote about it on the BJU Grace blog and um, BJU Grace website. And I'm writing about it in a book now. And my name was on the cover, Dale Ingram with Rebecca Davis. And then Jeff Crippen, another abuse blogger came to me to ask me to help him with a book. Or maybe I, he was talking to me about his frustrations with this book and maybe I offered. And that resulted in the book Unholy Charade, which also came out in 2015. So I was busy in 2015. I also did my daughter's wedding in 2015. So <laughs> you were busy. <laughs> it was a busy, it was a busy time. Yeah. And so then I saw, it was very clear to me, the Lord was shifting me and I still didn't know what to do with my Here, Here's the Joy blog. I've taken down my missionary books and everything used to be on there and I've taken them all off and put them on their own website. So I used to have a lot more posts on that blog in the early years than I do now because I've taken away things that, that have gotten moved. But in 2016, 
I said, all right, I've written about rights on my blog and I've written about bitterness on my blog. I'm gonna take all that and put it into a book. So let me back up and talk about rights and bitterness. Am I talking too much, Caleb? No, 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 absolutely <laughs> not. This is, this is all good. <laughs> so I was getting a huge education going from zero to 60 in 2.5 seconds. It was, it was really, I really often felt overwhelmed with the information I was getting and not just the information, but the stories I was hearing. The stories were very often very overwhelming to me. And one, so these two things that seemed to relate, rights and bitterness, I was hearing about both of them. The first time I heard about it was I was with a friend. I think I was at her house. This is one of the abuse survivors. And she said, we didn't have any rights. And she was referring to children. And the context was we didn't have any rights. So anybody could do anything to us that they wanted to do because we had no rights. And we were living sacrifices. I was so horrified. I cannot even tell you how horrified I was that, well, that the scriptures had been twisted to this extent to use Romans 12, 2 about being living sacrifices to make children think that they needed to take whatever was done to them in the name of God. I was absolutely I was laid flat and I was horrified because this was pretty early on that this kind of thing was actually happening in the church of Jesus Christ, in the church. So I started writing about it and I wrote about it first on the BJU Grace website. And then eventually I wrote about it on Here's the Joy after I finally made that shift and in 2016, I compiled them because there were several, several blog posts about rights. And there's a website called Recovering Grace that wrote about Bill Gothard. And they reposted some of my stuff. Some other websites like Spiritual Sounding Board were reposting some of my things. And so then I took them all and put them into a book. The other, oh, the other one was Bitterness. I saw that you're just bitter was used to shut people down. You're just bitter. Yep. If you weren't so bitter, you wouldn't be gossiping like this. I mean, it just makes my skin crawl that people talk like that. But so I thought, I know that's not the heart of God, but I've never studied bitterness in the scripture. So I'm just going to take some time out and do a gigantic word study. The Hebrew word for bitterness, the Greek word for bitterness, I'm just going to do it all and see where this leads. And I did not know where it was going to lead me. All I really knew was that this wasn't the heart of God to, to do what people were doing in shutting survivors down. I knew 
I had seen in a, uh, I'd seen somewhere, someone talk about how the Hebrews 15, 17 verse, don't let that root of bitterness come in, that that verse had been connected to a verse in Deuteronomy. But I'd never really dug into that. And I thought, I'm going to dig into that. I'm going to look at every single use of the word in the Old Testament, every single use of the word in the New Testament, and we're going to see where we come out on the other end. And so that's what I did. I didn't just take what other people had said. I went to the scriptures. And that's what ended up being in this book, The Heart of God About Bitterness. And I also have a video that's up on YouTube about when I spoke at a conference a couple of years ago about this topic of bitterness. So if you want to get it all super condensed, you can go to the video, but um, it's explained in more detail with more quotations in the book. I used a lot, lot of quotations from people who are teaching this wrong in the first Untwisting Scriptures book. Mm -hmm. Yep, that was the first thing the that book. stood out to me uh, when I when I started reading it was that was the, uh, the I'll, you used a lot of quotes in it and it surprised me how many people were teaching it and even some of the people that were teaching it, but yeah. The, the, you. Yes. Well, the full name of the book is Untwisting Scriptures That Were Used to Tie You Up, Gag You, and Tangle Your Mind. And I had seen that people were bound, they couldn't speak, and they were confused. So this was the obvious title to me. And I came up with the title of the book like two years before I ever wrote a book because this is what I saw was happening. Now, Bill Gothard is probably the prime teacher of the giving up your rights teaching and bitterness is going to destroy you and destroy everybody around you teaching and the way you can know you're bitter is if you're still talking about it and then lastly in there I address taking up offenses for others and that's very tied in with bitterness so I wanted to find other teachers because Bill Gothard was extremely influential in the 70s, 80s, 90s, and beyond. And I was the devotee of Bill Gothard. So I wanted to find, I knew other people, other teachers were also devotees of Bill Gothard. And Nancy Lee DeMoss, now Wolgamoth, seemed to be one of the biggest ones. In her book, Wise Women Believe in the Truth That Sets You Free, she talked so much about these things giving up your rights and bitterness. And I could see how that book could tie a person up. In fact, before I wrote my book, and I had never read Nancy Lita Moss. I don't usually read popular teachers. I wait until they're 100 years old and then I read them. Um, but <laughs> Proven by the test that, of time. That, I'm sorry, that is, not, that is not fully true because there are some people who are still alive, whose work I've benefited from. So that's not, that isn't accurate. But um, I hadn't read her books, but someone had come to me, a few people had come to me and said, this isn't a good book. Wise women believe in the truth, it sets them free. And we're studying it in our women's study and it's just not a good book. And I said, what's wrong with it? And they said, I don't know, I can't tell, but I can, there's something wrong with it. 
and I have often come had people come to me and say that Rebecca this feels wrong but I can't figure out why would you help me with it and this has happened since that time this has happened over and over and so I'll say sure if I can and then sometimes it ends up being a blog post but I'll say here's what's wrong they're saying that this is true and lots of times it has to do with logic and often it has to do with scriptures out of context so with lies women believe in the truth that sets them free the truth really didn't set the truth in air quotes really didn't set them free it would tie them up because you're supposed to give up your rights and so my teaching is you can't give up your rights it's impossible to give up your rights even jesus didn't give up his rights now that is super controversial but once I explain that, mm-hmm. once I explain that to people, they say, oh, yeah, now I see what you mean. Jesus did not give up his rights. He still had his rights. He didn't use them, but he still had them. Otherwise, he wouldn't have been able to say, I could call 12 legions of angels to come and rescue me. Because if he had given up his rights, then he wouldn't have had the right to call them. So when I talk about rights in the book, I say simply, rights are what is right. If you want to do what is right, then you will acknowledge people's rights. That's good. Yep. And I also compare Jesus <clears throat> to the prince and the prince and the pauper. So you can read the book to find out about that. <laughs> but that was published at the end of 2016. And right about that time, I still had not made the shift on my blog. I still hadn't. And that right around then was when the Lord said it in my heart, it is time. It's time to shift over. Just go ahead and do it. Bite the bullet and make here's the joy into an abuse abuse advocacy blog. And I said, that's a terrible name for an abuse advocacy blog. I need to start over. I need to make a whole new website. And it was just a matter of time. I didn't have the time and I didn't have the, uh, I did have the expertise, but I couldn't imagine taking the time to just make another whole website and trying to start all over again. So I just did it. I just did it beginning of end of 2016, beginning of 2017. And that's when my blogs, blog posts started to be shared a lot. I think one of the first ones that was shared a lot was one about idolatry. It was called Rethinking the Idol Factory. Um, I can't remember the subtitle, but I, I had really long, I started doing really long titles and having really long blog posts. I had had really short blog posts before and I just it just totally changed. Now they were really long, really deep, and they got shared a lot and people started reaching out to me. And I had many ideas of things to talk about because the Idol Factory I thought was wrong to think that every sin a Christian commits means that the Christian has created an idol in their heart. I didn't believe that. And I wanted to show from scripture why I believed it was wrong. But in that blog post, I was mainly focusing on the abused wife 
and the abused wife can think, I must be an idolater because I treat my husband like a god. I think about his every movement. I try to keep him happy. I'm walking on eggshells all the time. My focus has to be on him. I want my focus to be on the Lord, but I have to focus on him because I'm trying to keep from being hurt or my children being hurt. And it never works because I never know when he's going to explode, but I just keep trying to appease him. And so I talked about the difference between appeasement and worship in that blog post. And here is where all those missionary books I had written, I could see how they really helped give depth to what I was writing. Because I had researched the mission fields for all of these missionary books. I'd written six compilations of true stories, each from a different area of the world. True stories about how God was working in that area. And I learned about appeasement on a, on a deep level, that these native people would want to appease their gods, not worship them. Worship was a completely foreign concept to them. Appeasement was all that it was. And I saw that what was happening with the wife of an abused husband and often the children of an abusive father, abusive husband, not abused. And of course, this would also be true if the wife is the abusive one. But they were practicing appeasement. And so I wanted to explain that. And, and I've had, I remember one woman that I'm very close friends with now saying that was the first blog post of mine she saw and it resonated very deeply with her. Also, in my missionary books, I had gotten very used to researching where things started. I wanted to find out when did the gospel first come to this country? When did it first take hold? And when did it begin to flourish? So I took that same concept and applied it to my abuse research. In the what I believe to be twisted scriptures. So in the idolatry um, concept with this idea of idolatry, I said, when did this idolatry thing first start? So I researched it and it was in 1995 with an article written by David Powelson. And it took off from there. And after 95, when David Powelson that said that all sin is idolatry, then many, many books started to be written about that how all sin is idolatry. I thought, all right, that's where it started. That's what needs to be, that's, that's the seed where it needs to be, uh, um, we, we need to go look at it. And then right. to go even farther back, it's looking at Jay Adams and Nephetic counseling. And I've written a lot about that. So in the process of my writing my blog, So many people started coming to me with their questions and just reaching out to thank me for whichever blog post. And I began to meet a lot of people from the patriarchy world that was a slightly different from the independent Baptist world that I grew up with because it was very reformed and very 
well, homeschooling, but I, I wasn't a homeschooler, so I was, I knew it existed, but it hadn't been my world. So there's this vision forum group with a very exalted leader, Doug Phillips, and a few other leaders. And it was a creepy group, I thought, <laughs> once I started finding out about it. Yeah. But it looked beautiful on the outside because the girls were dressed in their pretty dresses and the boys looked like little uh, Davy Crockett's and things like that. So I started, when I started meeting these people, I started blogging about patriarchy. And that was in 2017. And when people would ask me about topics, I, I would write about that topic. So I, I often had my blog post ideas given to me. So then a young woman came to me and said, would you take these blog posts and put them into a book because my parents need to read it and they're never gonna read a blog, but they might read a book. And so that was in my head. It took me several years to do that, but it did eventually happen. And that is book two, Untwisting Scriptures that we use to tie you up, gag you and tangle your mind, Patriarchy and Authority, which came out last month so i have two in the series i never intended for the first one to be the only one i always wanted it to be a series because there are so many scriptures that have been twisted to tie people up and Absolutely. i think i have at least at least two more books in my head that i that i hope can come out eventually oh, i hope that... they don't take as long as these two. Oh, that'd be great i i have enjoyed um i've been able to read much more of the first one than the second one but uh the second one you 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 dig in um a lot the first one is really cool because you you dig into the subjects and you look at the just like you said there's a lot of quotes and then you use the scriptures that are being used to teach those sort of things um and and you break them down and just like you said i'm not going to give too much away but you teach even on the the prince and the pauper i got i got into that and i actually liked the way that you were using that story to uh deconstruct a lot of the teaching but then the second one um with the, the patriarchy you dig into that um very thoroughly and it's going to take me a little bit longer to get through that one i think than the than the first one but it's the first one was good. nice and short the second one just went on and on i don't know how that happened but <laughs> just like you said a lot of experience i mean you have an uh, you have an amazing amount of experience it's funny um while you were talking and you were uh see i didn't know that you had written 19 books i knew that you had written more than just these two because when i searched for you on the uh the Kindle store, some of the other ones popped up as well, but I, I wasn't sure of the number, but you, you were talking about writing those missionary stories and things like that, and you didn't know how that would give you experience for writing on such deep and honestly dark subjects, but I just did an episode earlier in the month on um, St. Patrick, and it's, it's kind of the same thing where uh, you're going through all of these experiences and, and, and and you and your whatever that life path might be is setting you up for a ministry that you haven't even imagined yet. Uh, St. Patrick being an Italian who's kidnapped and taken and enslaved by the Irish, but learns about their world, learns about their religion, learns their language. So when he finally gets free, he can go back, which is 
remarkable and preach the gospel to those people. And it's the same thing for you. You have all of these stories and the work that's being done in those countries to then turn that lens to us in America or in the Western church and see how far off the mark we actually are with some of these doctrines and some of these uh, things that are being taught in the church. And um, I mean, you never know. And God just uses all of these things if we're willing to go where he tells us to go. And, and so that's, that's just remarkable. That's amazing. Um, an amazing story. And you have an amazing ministry. Uh, uh, being on the receiving end, when I was asking for advice on what books to dig into these kinds of subjects was just uh, overwhelming. So you have you have a very large ministry, a very uh, grateful audience, I think, uh, which is very I, cool. I do want to say something about that convoluted or, or seemingly convoluted path. When you look back, you can see how it all worked out, but going through it, it can seem a little weird. <laughs> uh, and I'd say about 15 years ago or so, 15 or 20, I went through a dark night of the soul. And anybody who's gone through what I talk about can understand what I'm saying for over a year. And I yelled at God a lot during that time. And one of the things I yelled was, you'd better have a really good reason for this. And I can look back on that now and see what was happening in me, what God was doing, how he brought me out of it. And I blogged about this very obliquely. I, I haven't gone into detail in my blog, but um, I have a blog post, an old one called The Thick Darkness Where God Was. Because when Moses went in, he went into thick darkness. But God brought me out of it and brought me into a place of light and glory. And I lived in the constant presence of the glory of God for four months after I came out of that. And I can see now in this very, very, very dark area and demonic, I will say. It is demonic and I have to deal with actual literal demons sometimes. That that experience those years ago that was so hard where I was saying well God you just better kill me now because I am going to die all of that that God was faithful through that brought me out on the other side of that and it strengthened my faith in a way that was essential for what I'm doing now mm -hmm. yep it's it's amazing how he he can redeem those those dark times in our lives. Um, you, you can, uh, in my own life, uh, I went through three years of watching my mother go through her cancer and the ups and downs and the roller coaster of recovery and then it coming back and recovery and it coming back. And, and through that whole period of time, uh, it was so hard to watch. And then when she finally, she did, she passed away after three years of battling the cancer. And that initial reaction is, you know, God, how could you do that? Like, there's never been a, a woman or a person in general that I have known with a deeper faith than my mother. Um, mm -hmm. And how could you just take her and especially in such a slow, painful way, but um, looking back, 
after that initial reaction, you see her faith and her faith never wavered through all of that. And it was such a, an example of, of that, that it, and then looking at that and then realizing she was supposed to have died something like three to six months after the diagnosis. And yet I got three years with her. It, it, it repaired relationships in my family, just us all gathering around her while she was sick. And, and, and then you see all that he was working out even through that dark time. Um, and it's amazing. Just like, just like what you're saying, it's, um, you go through these moments in your life, never knowing what he's preparing you for, but there is a purpose if we choose to follow where he's leading. And it is absolutely amazing. And, and it also depends on our perspective. We can choose to look at, I want to say high level because God is always working and we can look at what God is doing even when terrible things are happening and they can be the terrible things in the natural realm the the things that happen because people do get sick and die and that is mm -hmm. a grievous thing or they can be the terrible things that are happening because people choose to do evil they choose to follow in the path of the evil one the destroyer and in either case we can focus on the terrible things that are happening, or we can look to see what God is doing. And often in the work I do, I do focus on the terrible evil. And that is, I, I can do that for short periods of time to write about it or to, to battle against it or something. But for the most part, I have to focus on the good things God is doing in the midst of it. And I do see him doing good things. I see him bringing deliverance to individuals. And I see him helping people to have a greater understanding of what's going on. So, and, and to want to know God more and to have their minds freed from the confusion of twisted scriptures. Mm -hmm. So he is doing good things. Yep. He's doing a good work in the midst of the darkness. He is. You're absolutely right. And as long as uh, we are willing to do what he is asking of us, we can combat that. And that's what's amazing about your book. Is it okay if we dig into your second book a little bit? Oh, we go whichever direction you'd like. Yes, yeah. I'd be glad to do okay. that. So, I've got um, the table of contents in front of me. Here we go. Okay. <laughs> so with your... Um, with your second book, you're taking on the, the doctrine of patriarchy, and that seems to be sort of a, a common um, subject that's coming up recently. A lot of people are, are looking at the structure of the patriarchal system in the church and, um, and seeing the flaws with it. But one of the defenses that seems to come up an, a lot is when we... Uh, when, when the word patriarchy is thrown around, um, a lot of the people that, are, that subscribe to this point of view or this doctrine uh, get real defensive and they start saying, well, we know that the patriarchal system is right because God talks about the patriarchs in the Bible. Um, he is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. They are the patriarchs. And so all the systems 
uh, is built on this understanding of what a patriarch is, which are essentially like church fathers or uh, fathers of faith, like Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Um, but when you're talking about patriarchy in your book, that's not what you're talking about. So do you want to sort of explain what you mean when you're talking about patriarchy and and that sort of thing, just in case listeners don't understand the doctrine? What a great question. One of the things that I am very big on and is, if I had pet peeves, this would sure be one of them. <laughs> it is definitions of words and how people think they can use a word any old way and give it a whole new definition. And I think it's, I understand that the English language is evolving. Yes, <laughs> but or devolving either way. <laughs> <laughs> yes, but you can't just get all mushy about what words mean. Mm -hmm. One of the big, the big word that we're talking about now or have been recently on my Facebook page is empathy. What does it mean? What does it actually mean? And why do some people call it a sin when I say it's essential? So anyway, I won't talk about that because you asked about patriarchy. Because this is book three. <laughs> <laughs> it might be in there. But I defined it right off the bat at the beginning of the book because I believe definitions are very important. And the patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, were the fathers of the Jewish nation, the fathers of the entire nation that was the people of God under the old covenant. Of course, under the new covenant, the people of God are whoever believe in Jesus Christ. But under the old covenant, the people of God were this physical people who claimed Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob as their literal physical forebears. So the patriarchy movement, the modern one, has zero relation to the patriarchy patriarchs of the Old Testament. It's sort of like taking that verse about throwing stones and trying to apply it to me when I'm trying to bring shed light on the truth. Just because you claim the name patriarchy doesn't mean you're like Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. You can use the name. You can use whatever name you want, I suppose, but I'm not going to buy your definition. I'm going to look at who you actually are. Are. Let's look at who you truly are, not who you claim to be. Or who you want to be. Uh, a lot of the times they want to throw back, it seems like, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob so that they can adopt the authority that those, those three men had. And those three men had a very specific ministry and a specific relationship with God because, um, because of the circumstances. It, God was forming a nation. And he chose Abraham and his offspring to build that nation. But all you have to do is get into Exodus to see all of a sudden that one person um, leading is, is, is starting to change a little bit because you get to the story of Moses. And while God does specifically speak to Moses, Moses is 
authority is shared with Aaron and then with a council of elders even after that. So all of a sudden that that singular authority that that seems to be what people want with the patriarchal doctrine already starts to look different as soon as you get into Exodus. Um, and we have to remember a couple of other things there too. The old covenant people of God at the time of Moses didn't have any scriptures except whatever it was that Moses had written. Absolutely. And who knows when Moses wrote those first five books. And also, how many copies of that did they have? Like five, maybe? I don't know. How the scribes were probably writing as fast as they could. Right. But not everybody had that copy. They had no. to listen to Moses. Mm -hmm. If they didn't, they weren't going to know what God said because God was talking to Moses and I think he only talked to Moses, but Aaron was the spokesman. Right. So in chapter six of this book, I address the old covenant versus the new covenant. Oh, I said two things. One was that they didn't have the scripture. The second mm -hmm. one was they didn't have Jesus because when Jesus came, he changed everything. Everything. Mm -hmm. And so in chapter six, because the patriarchal movement and when I talk about the patriarchal movement, I'm focusing primarily on Doug Phillips and other people like him. There were several, still are, I guess. But he would take Old Testament law, Old Testament civil law, and apply it to us today. And so I took that opportunity to deconstruct and completely explain why not just to say the scripture doesn't apply to us today, but to explain why this scripture doesn't apply to us today. Now, I will say there are 18 chapters here, and most of them are blog posts. I, I took blog posts and edited them for the book, but there are a few that were brand new for the book, and chapter six was one of those. It's called Doug Phillips Under the Old Covenant, and it's about how fathers need to keep their daughters at home because Deuteronomy, uh, I'm sorry, the book of Numbers says so. And fathers shouldn't let their daughters go out anywhere. And so some girls never left the property under patriarchy. And so now I was taking that and, and deconstructing that. Why? First of all, he's not applying even that scripture. He's not applying the way it's written which is a more minor problem. The greater problem is the old covenant versus new covenant problem, which I explain mm -hmm. in depth in that chapter. So I do get into some theology there, but it's theology that is extremely pertinent and practical to our lives. It is not how many angels can dance on the head of a pin. <laughs> well, that's, that's the thing um, that, that seems to bug me the most when it comes to a lot of this stuff. I teach mostly out of the Old Testament. When I teach or I preach, I, I love to use the Old Testament. The Old Testament is interesting because the people in the Old Testament in a lot of the main stories have so much more character fleshed out. Like they tell more about those people. Like we see David flaws and all in the Old Testament. We see Gideon flaws and all in the Old Testament, where in the New Testament is just trying to relate events and you get sort of a, a highlights reel. So it's a little bit different. And I use the Old Testament so often to, to sketch out 
what kind of a life these people led and then how they were redeemed or weren't redeemed and how that ties to the New Testament because the entire Old Testament points to the New Testament. But when you randomly take Old Testament law that was written to a Jewish people who had not received the Messiah yet or a strict moral code for a priesthood that doesn't exist anymore, like when people quote Leviticus, <laughs> you, you lose all context and it doesn't make any sense. And when you get to the New Testament, it's, it's like a lot of these people who propagate these doctrines don't pay any attention to Jesus saying, behold, I make all things new. And he says, I make all things new knew <laughs> he meant all things mm -hmm. even the way that the social structure of the new testament worked as opposed to the old testament you get into the new testament and you get these interesting characters that nobody wants to talk about anymore you get these these phoebes or these junias who is called an uh, a deaconos, which means a deacon. So all of a sudden, when you get into these stricture, uh, scriptures that are explaining what a deacon is, and everybody wants to focus on a husband with one wife, as if that's the rule, a husband of one, with one wife, and it's a gender thing, well, then how how is Junia a deaconos? How is she a deacon if it's supposed to be a husband of one wife, you know, and they and they ignore all of these things. Now, I've never heard of I've never heard of Doug Phillips, but you do use one of the other patriarchal doctrines that I have heard and been taught before, which is from um, Bill Gothard, the the umbrella doctrine that he teaches all the time. And uh, you, you actually seem to have an entire chapter <laughs> on the umbrella doctrine. Um, and that one I've seen myself, but uh, did you want, uh, would you care to explain a little bit of that with, uh, or for our audience as well? Well, the umbrella has become so notorious now. Lots of people have written about it, but it, back in the day, it was gospel truth <laughs> to many of us. I didn't actually ever I loved Bill Gothard. I adored Bill Gothard. I studied his stuff like crazy when I was young, like in my 20s. But my husband never, never adored him so much. And so it kind of fell off after that. And I, his, I kept his red notebook because I thought, eh, maybe I'll look at this again someday. And it went into the attic in, in all of our various houses. And then in this house, where we currently are, that's the place where I pulled it down from the attic and started looking up the notes I had taken back in the day. I think 1974 was my first uh, institute of basic youth conflicts back in those days. And I just bought everything he said because he was Bill Gothard and he was so amazing. Yeah. And in an interview I did uh, last month, I think, she, she was a um, Bill Gothard homeschooling person trying to wrap her mind around was someone of her parents' generation liked Bill Gothard so much because she thought he was the ultimate and creepy. And <laughs> he was, but I, he, he definitely was, but I yeah. didn't know it at, at that time. So I've written two or three blog posts about the umbrella and I took them all together plus I went and did a lot of research on recovering grace took a lot of comments from actual people who had had to live their lives like this was from the bible 
There is nothing, nothing, nothing that even hints at this in the Bible. It is completely made up out of Bill Gothard's head. And on one of my blog posts, I guess it was the first one I did about the umbrella, I made a meme. It was the first meme I ever made on Canva where Martin Luther, that famous painting of Martin Luther before the Diet of Worms, and he says, I just want to stay under my umbrella of authority. Oh, and at no. the bottom, it's hashtag <laughs> stuff Martin Luther never said. <laughs> so, well, yeah, that's one of your that's one of your opening quotes from the book is uh, it, it's hard to untwist scriptures about a ubiquitous teaching in evangelicalism that isn't even based on any scriptures at all. And that's mm -hmm. and it it's true because. I, I never thought of it this way. I've always heard, you know, the uh, umbrella of authority and, and they break it down by, was it a uh, pastor, pa pastor or church, and then what father, mother, children, or something well, like do, that was how it. They do let Jesus be at the top. Oh, that's, yes. They do, okay. let, they do let Jesus. How, how very gracious. <laughs> <laughs> yes, you're right. I forgot about <laughs> Jesus at the top. Uh, and, I, and you just like you said, you can't see that it takes all personal responsibility out of it and it hands all authority to whoever's in, you know, on the umbrella above you. And I've never understood even why, why you would want to live that way, like even as a male. And I know that the, the men in, in these churches or in these kinds of doctrines are the ones that get all of that authority and hence... Yeah, I guess if you're like a power hungry person, that would be great. But that's a lot of responsibility to take on because now, not only if you're, if you grow up IFB, are you a man who has to provide for the, the wife and children and she has, she stays home and she takes care of the kids, but you have to feed the kids and you have to support them all on one income Plus, you're taking on all the authority for their spiritual life and, and the responsibility for the spiritual nature of your home and making sure that your kids get saved. And, and, and just, I mean, you're handing everything over and it all falls on your shoulders with no personal accountability for anybody in the umbrella underneath you. And I just, well, yes, and I don't I, and, understand. And of course, how... then you have to answer to the pastor. Mm -hmm. I think I can kind of explain it because I've talked with so many people who are in cults who have been in cults by this point. And I, if you count growing up IFB, which is independent fundamental Baptist, then I guess you could say I grew up in a cult. Although I wasn't, I had, I had it in me, but I was also reading the Bible. Mm -hmm. So it wasn't, and, yeah. it didn't affect me as badly as it affected a lot of people. But I, we were also in a, in a cultic church. It was a reformed Baptist church for a year. And we saw people who came out of the Reformed Baptist world and how it affected them. That was back in the 90s. And so that was an education. And then a lot of people since then. So when you love God and you just love him, he has saved you and you want to serve him, then you come into a church that's very welcoming and the pastor preaches with unction and takes it very seriously. And they have these dinners after church and the women are friendly and they talk to you about casseroles and laundry. And 
uh, the men are talking about man things <laughs> and um, probably theology. And because women talk casseroles and laundry and men talk theology. And I may sound like I'm exaggerating, but this actually is the way it is in some of these oh, churches. It is. It's absolutely like that. You're not wrong. And if you have a heart to follow God and you don't really know the scriptures and you're a new Christian, then you, and you get in a church like this, you're going to do what the pastor says because he's the man of God. He's the one who knows what the Bible is teaching. And you might have what's called a Bible study but you might actually be studying a book written by an ordinary per person like you or me mm -hmm. that talks about women giving up their rights or something and call it a Bible study. And you think you're having a Bible study, but you're really just studying the words of man. And somebody recently wrote to me and said, Rebecca, can you recommend a good Bible study book? And I said, oh, I would probably recommend if you're just starting out, the Gospel of John, or, or if you're a little farther on, maybe Ephesians. Um, I don't actually remember what I said, but that's that would be a typical answer of mine. And she said, well, actually, we were studying this book by this modern person, and we're looking for the next book to study. And I said, all right, what you're talking about is a book study, not a Bible study. Right. Don't call it a Bible study if you're just studying a book. Right. If you want to Absolutely. do a Bible study, study, study the Bible. Yeah. But book study is fine, but that's not a Bible study. So very often that's what happens in these churches. Yeah. I was talking to one woman whose cult was so terrible and she's been out of it for a while, but her eyes are continuing to open. And I said, so did you never read the Bible for yourself when you were in that cult? And it, it was an independent Baptist cult. And she said, no, we just listened to the sermon, the pastor's sermons over and over and over. Mm -hmm. And we would, it was cassette tapes in those days, and we would um, trade the cassette tapes. And I would be listening to them while I was doing my housework. And, and mm -hmm. I thought that was the way to be a good Christian. I was just filling my mind with this pastor's sermons. And it was um, a very bad man that she was listening to. And yet, that's what's in her head. That's yep. what's in her head. And yeah. she thought she was being a good Christian by doing that. So yeah. that's how it happens. Well, a lot of them, uh, a lot of cults, uh, and that's one of the many like series episodes that I've been doing is going through a lot of the different uh, Christian cults. So Christian science, Mormons, um, Jehovah's Witnesses, and the IFB will be in there eventually, Word of Faith, you know, all the ones that, you know, claim christianity <clears throat> what they do is they just control the information and so with the ifb just like you said you know you're reading um the bible but you're reading it through the lens of a teacher or a pastor's teaching um and while some like when i grew up the the pastor didn't like to use a lot of celebrity speakers or celebrity writers but you still have that cult of personality then where you have the famous speakers like jack scop 
or Oliver Erasia and all these other evangelists would come and they'd speak. And while they're speaking at your church, then they're selling their books. And so you would use them, not so much a so major icon. Like your, but... So it sounds like your cult was of the Hiles, Jack Hiles variety. Yes. Yeah, that was, they were, they were the, they were following with the Hiles Anderson, Jack Scop. Yeah, those guys. Yeah, that's an, an especially extreme and vicious form of, of um, independent Baptist. Some independent it, it really Baptists is. are, are uh, on more, it's a spectrum. Like yes, it is. Absolutely. That where some are a little more gentle and some are more harsh. And that mm -hmm. is very, very vicious. It's harsh yep. and Yep, you were kind of in in that group. If you went to public school, you were the odd man out. If if all the women in your uh, home didn't wear skirts, then you were out. If if you grew facial hair or you had a modern haircut as a man, you were weird. If you didn't wear a suit and tie, you couldn't be in choir. Yeah, it was it was all of that. It's it's very strict and it's very strange. And then going through those things. Um, one of the things I'd like to dig into a little bit with you while we still have a little bit of time is then changing your thinking on it because the hard thing is okay I got out of that but now where do I go from here because you have that legalistic spirit and mindset so I have learned this my entire life I've heard that the husband is the head of the household and um, all of this my entire life. And now I know that that doesn't look the way that it was, it was explained to me growing up. So what does this mean? And it's going against everything I know. And then as a woman going out of that, I can't even imagine, because you're supposed to be this meek and quiet and submissive wife or daughter, whatever it might be. And then now you find this newfound freedom where you you're able to get out of that but where do you go from here how do you grow how do you dismantle and that's actually what drew me so much to your books was the idea of untwisting that doctrine and actually putting it into context and and walking through those things well i do have a very high view of scripture in the sense that i believe it's the word of god and we are to study and learn it as his message to us. I've been, um, well, some people don't like me very much, but I'm not up for a popularity contest, so it's okay. Mm -hmm. But I want very much to do this for other people who also want to know the heart of God through the scriptures. And, and that is the, often the kind of letter I get from people to thank me for actually going to the scriptures and not just proclaiming this is this teaching is wrong but talking about why in the scriptures we can understand that it's wrong mm -hmm. and and then not just stopping with this is wrong but going forward to saying well what is right let's look at the right way to view things that's why in a book about authority because as I talk about patriarchy, but that's not the only thing I talk about. I talk about authority. Part three is the problem of church authorities, even those who have never heard the word patriarchy. Every cult mm -hmm. has a couple of tenets. They all have these 
same two things. The one is extra scriptural rules that you have to follow. And the other is one person or one small group of people that have the last word on everything. And so I work on the scriptures because Hebrews 13, 17 is one of those used there. Obey those, obey your leaders and submit to their authority. So I work on that scripture. But okay. then in a book about authority, I don't want to miss the positive aspect, which is that all of us as believers in Jesus Christ, we have certain authority. What does that authority look like? So that's the last chapter of the book. It's called The Authority We Have in Jesus Christ. And the we is all of us who have put our hope and trust in Jesus Christ for our salvation. What does our authority look like? So I always want to end with hope because we do have great hope in him. It is a matter of we've got to get away from that, but where do we go from here? Well, here's, I want to point you in the right direction. Here's where we can go. And that's, that's amazing. I am, I, I am really looking forward to finishing both of these up. Um, it, it's, it is neat to, it's not too often, just like you were saying, you're going, uh, there's a difference between a Bible study and a book study. And very often when you get into the Christian books that are teaching on some of these things, it's, it's, they very rarely go to the scriptures and right off the bat, it's very recognizable in your your books that you are scripture based so you are untwisting scripture using scripture and uh i that's it's sad but it's true that that is a very unique approach to to dealing with these sort of doctrines or these sort of teachings and um it, it's enjoyable to see uh, right alongside with your your book. I have my my Bible, and I'm able to. Oh yeah, yep, this is what she's doing. Okay, <laughs> this is great, and and I well, appreciate I think, that so much. Yeah. Yes, I think that really that 2014 education it, when I was posting on social media about abuse in the Bob Jones world, that education really was the impetus for what I do now. There was one place where I wrote a footnote in the second book about one of the topics. I said, I write a lot more about this topic on my blog, Here's the Joy, but the best place to read about it is in the New Testament. Because I, yep. want, I want to send people back to their Bibles. Mm -hmm. Well, I think that that's a, a great approach to um, for the audience that you're trying to target as well because when you're when you're dealing with uh, mostly and i know it'll be mostly women who grew up in these environments or were subjected to these environments the one authority that would be very hard for them to give up would be the bible so when you're using the bible to actually teach the bible um i think that would resonate so much more than uh, i think a lot of people would miss out uh, they would just scoff at the subject if you were just trying to um like psychoanalyze uh, them and as opposed to actually going to the bible and and using well, the bible too i don't want them to give up that authority right. i do believe that when it comes to uh, whatever message from god we have we have a message through creation 
and we have a message through scriptures. The cre creation can tell us a lot about God, but it can't tell us about his salvation, his justification, and his sanctification. Only the scriptures tell us about that. We also hear from God through the Holy Spirit, but that always has to be subject to the scriptures. We can also hear from God through dreams and visions. I, in my, on my uh, website, I under a page called Beliefs Behind the Blog, somebody wanted me to post my statement of faith. I do talk about ways we can hear from God, but all of them have to be subject to the scriptures. When we talk about authority, there you go. The scriptures are our authority. So if the pastor tells you to do something, you can go to the scriptures and understand I mean, if he tells you to do something that is against God, against the heart of God, mm -hmm. then you can go to the scriptures and be strong in we must obey God rather than man. Absolutely. Well, and that's the whole thing, um, getting into even your first book a little bit. And you teach about the surrender of personal rights, but God never tells us to give up our personal rights in every form of authority. Um, if somebody gives you what would essentially be an illegal order, you don't have to follow it. That whether that's in the church and, and telling you to do something unscriptural, you, you don't have to do it. Uh, in the military, if you're told to kill people who are prisoners of war, you don't have to do that because they're protected as prisoners of war. It, you know, uh, if a police officer, officer is told to do something illegal, they're don't have to do it now, the only way that you can justify those things is if you give up your personal rights and that's i think why that gets attacked is because once you have no more rights you don't have anything to stand on whatsoever you essentially make yourself a slave and um then all of these other doctrines fall into place and you're just buried under yes. the weight of them and it's absolutely that's absolutely a, a sad and terrible thing and uh your books are amazing <laughs> as far as dismantling that like i said just the fact that you're going to scripture to prove that those scriptures are being taught in a in a malicious way and um it, it's definitely worth reading so um did you have anything that you wanted to share that's coming down the line or do you want to um, give people an address for your blog posts or your, and can they find you on social media or anything like that? Sure. Um, I have an Amazon author page where you can see all my books. Oh, I think it's 19. I counted recently because somebody asked me how many I had. Um, so Amazon author page, Rebecca Davis where you can see them. And my blog is here's the joy.com. H E R E S. Here's the joy.com. And then social media is just my own personal Facebook page. I have not made a ministry Facebook page. Okay. Because again, it just seemed like too much to like more than I could handle because it's just me doing all this stuff. So okay uh, if somebody wants to 
volunteer to make a ministry Facebook page for me. That'd be amazing. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you so much for your time. Um, I will encourage everybody to check out your books. Um, they, they really are worth it and they go so much deeper than what this conversation has been able to do. But um, I absolutely appreciate your work and, and everything that you're doing. And thank you for your time for coming on to the show and being willing to talk about some not so fun subjects, I guess. Um, just it's been really Thank great to so be much, able to. Caleb. Absolutely. Thank it's you. It's been very good to meet you. And I really appreciate your inviting me on. Thank you so much. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you. Well, I just want to take a moment here at the end of the episode to thank you guys for stopping by and checking us out. I really hope that you enjoyed this interview, and I really do encourage all of you to go out and follow Rebecca Davis on Facebook, uh, follow her blog at Here's the Joy, and also check out her two books, Untwisting Scriptures 1 and 2. You, I promise you will not be disappointed. She takes such a direct approach of just going back to scripture and comparing scripture with scripture, which is what the Bible tells us to do when it comes to figuring out the context and figuring out what the Bible is actually communicating. So much has been lost in Christianity because we don't take the time to do that. And it's awesome to see people like Rebecca Davis stepping up to the plate to take these issues on, defending those that have been victimized, defending those who don't know better, and revealing the manipulation of so many people in power. She is worth following on Facebook, on her blog, and, and checking out her books. And I really hope that all of you will do that. So head on out there and buy your copy. It's affordable and it's worth it. And check us back out here soon for new episodes coming in April. All of you have a great Easter. We'll talk to you soon. I'm your host, Caleb Sowers. Thanks for checking out the Bible Chat Podcast. <laughs>